welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Morning, everybody. Good to be back in Adelaide, apparently where God lives. I think uh, it's been about three years since I've been here, so it normally takes about at least two to get people to get healed from the pain of the last visit, so good to be back and good to be in this building. As last year, this was an absolute mess. It was a complete mess, and um, that's about a week before you opened. But uh, so good to see it's come on so well. Great. I want to talk about uh, a problem much bigger than um, erectile dysfunction. Anybody excited about that topic? Okay, for those of us on the slower side of 45, you know what I mean. I'm not talking about ambiguous erections. I'm talking about the biggest problem that you're going to face as a bloke is what? It's not your woman. She's half your problem. In fact, in fact she only has a problem because you're a problem. Uh, our greatest challenge is around this whole thing of aggression. And I want to give you a theology of aggression this morning. I want to give you permission to headbutt somebody right now in Jesus' name. I want to, I want to help you to just to lay hands on someone. Just, just punch anybody before we begin, just to get, get all worked up, all right? <laughs> but that wasn't just a, did someone punch you? Somebody headbutt him. Um, that wasn't just, just a clever intro. I actually want to talk about a theology of aggression because I'm, I'm exactly there where, where Tony is. I agree. The church looks like it's a bunch of old ladies with guys who've handed their balls and they are ha- hiding out in their wives' handbags. Um, it looks like it's just a bunch, place for a bunch of weak people. And if you're not a Christ follower here today, glad you came. We were expecting you. This is about you, really. Just a bit of, you know, work it out. Do the maths here. This is about you. Um, and uh, if you think that church is for a bunch of losers and weak people, I don't blame you because that's what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of old castrated blokes who are told what to do by their over, overly hairy wives. And, and, um, and that's just the Greek wives, you know? Any Greeks in the house? And, uh, and so, and, and it's full of, you know, ideas that uh, Jesus called us to weakness when rather Jesus called us to meekness. He's the most strong bloke ever. Uh, and so I want to talk about that this morning, if that's okay, and then we'll be done. All right. So uh, I was asked to talk about uh, men of valor at a place once, and I thought, well, how do you do that? Because there's no war. How the freaking heck do you talk about valor when there's no war? I mean, what, what do you talk about, you know? Um, how to, how to hang up washing in 20 seconds. Uh, that's dangerous. You could hang yourself. You know what I mean? Those p- washing pegs are dangerous. And so I began to think about that, that um, um, you don't need valor if there's no war, right? Why would you need valor if there's no war? And then I began to think about it. Maybe the war is more subtle than we think. Maybe you're continually involved in a war. And because you don't know you're in a war, you've been taken out. And the Bible offers you a Christianity that's on steroids. It doesn't offer you this neutered vicar. In fact, one of your, your Aussie writers, Steve um, Bidolf, written some good stuff about manhood. He's a bit screwed up around predetermined sexuality, but you know, that probably sells more books. But the rest of it's pretty good. And he says, of all the, all the religions in the world, in his mind, Christianity is the most powerful. It offers the most 
a possibility for something great, but the church is only regarded as a place or it's associated as a place for neutered old vicars and doddery old women. And so I'm going to show you from the scriptures that Jesus actually offers us a theology of aggression, not headbutting, but if you headbutt the guy in Jesus' name and you say it's more blessed to give than receive, that's fine. You can, you can apply, the, apply the verse there. But I kind of thought about this and I thought, you know, it's not easy being a modern-day knight. In the old days, you knew who the enemy was. Now you're not too sure. I mean, you know, George Bush and Tony Blair told their people that uh, Saddam Hussein was. Now we're not quite sure whether it was, was there supposed to be a Q at the end of the IRA or was it supposed to be an N as Iran. I mean, we don't know who the enemy is. And bringing up a family and being married to a wife and trying to hold down a job and trying to leave your mark in your generation on many levels is a war. And if you don't think it's a war, you're going to get taken out. And so we're looking for a group of men who understand that there's something to live for, there's something to die for. Uh, the problem is, it was easy in the old days when you had a sword, you had an enemy, you knew, you knew what your job was, it was quite clear, you know, uh, you guys go kill them, right, done, next. Uh, it's clear. Here you're not quite sure what it really is. And... Um, you were given necessary weapons. You had weapons. It was a real physical enemy. You could fight him with physical weapons. Now we've got an ideological war. How do you fight an idea? How do you fight a thought, a concept, an upbringing, a worldview? How do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, it's, the subtlety is the problem because we're not really built for subtlety. You know? So your wife passes away. She, she dies at the front door. She lies, on, lies in the passage. And it takes some of you blokes two weeks to know she's, not miss, she's missing, you know? It's like the guy who said uh, his wife had died and he felt the only thing uh, that was different was that the, that the plates piled up a lot. Uh, that's actually a worse joke. I don't wanna, you don't know me yet, but I wanted to give you the other part. But I'll tell, maybe at the end I'll tell you the other part. But half of the joke is the plates piled up, but the rest was the same. And so uh, you, you, you work it out. You do the maths. You guys are bright, yeah? All right? Okay? Um, it's a bit early for me to be honest with you. Now I've got to preach on Sunday and I want you guys to come back. So some of the problems we face, I've kind of listed them already. Number one is we're universally ignorant that we're at war. What do you mean we're at war? We're not at war, we're in Aussie. Freaking heck, all the South Africans who are scared of war have come here. Hey, hey Mark. <laughs> you know? And the real, the real men are left there to fight everybody and, you know, whatever. We're there, we're there. We haven't run, you know? Anyway, our, our wives are stronger than some of the guys who left. Anyway, so there's this idea. There's this idea we're not at war. But somebody once said, it's impossible to be a true soldier of Christ and not fight. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Those of you who are not Christ followers, you know, you need to try this for a week. It's much easier to, you know, to just masturbate and watch your porn. It's, anyone can do that, just have to have a good erection. I mean, anyone can do that. It's easy. Easy to lie on your income tax. Anyone can do that. It takes no courage just to do what you want to do, live the way you want to live, be in charge of your own world. That's no, that doesn't take any courage. That's, that's weak. To follow Jesus is the most masculine, the most urgh thing out there. I, I can't think of the word, but I reckon you, you guys understand. <laughs> it's, it's, the most, it's the most difficult thing. It could kill you. Literally. It's the hardest thing, as you, as you say. It's the hardest thing you could ever do is to follow Jesus. Just the following is war. War, war in your heart, war in your mind, war out there. 
If you don't believe in the devil, come out, punch you, and you'll know all about him. The devil is a real devil. Some of these pacifists say there's no devil. Of course there is. Let's take you to Rwanda. Let's go to Bosnia. Where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Tell, tell me. We'll take you there. We'll show you there's a real devil. So we're ignorant. We're even at war. We don't even know that. But a greater problem is the universal absence of anger. We're not angry enough. The problem is our, our little boys are, are, are taught by women. I got a friend. I'm going to New Zealand after this. Talk to some men there. And boy, those New Zealand men like women. This, is this on the internet? Uh, my name is Tony Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Peter Rainbow. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Peter Rainbow Brown. <laughs> and uh, this friend of mine uh, left South Africa. Got you know, like Mark, scared of the violence. And he went to Australia, went to New Zealand, and he took his little boys to play cricket. And uh, the coach kept rotating the kids. So I mean, some kids, all they're good at is being the wiki keeper in cricket. You know, hope the thing hits the glove. Um, there's some kids that can bowl. Some kids can't run, bowl, think, and, you know, chew gum. So you put them way out in the boundary and hope they stay out of trouble's way, out of arm's, out of arm's length. And uh, so they kept losing. And so the co- my, my friend went to a coach, went to the coach. Here we go. Listen to this. And she said, oh, already, already I was irritated right there. What the heck is she doing there? And she said, <laughs> so he moaned at her and said, why do you keep moving these boys around? And she said, um, did I say that? She said, sir, you need to see a psychiatrist. You've got an unhealthy orientation towards winning. The, f- the funny thing is, he is a psychiatrist. That's the problem. We shouldn't let women near our boys. We should, they should give birth to them, breastfeed them until they don't need the breasts anymore, and hand them over to their dads. Because we're producing little boys who are devoid of anger, I mean, in, in, on, on, the sport, on the sport field and on, in the, the playground, the, the male teachers understand they can read the nuance. They can see, okay, not too much blood. You know, the knife isn't all the way down the jugular. Okay, he'll be fine. We've got about five minutes. We'll let it go, run it a bit. And he understands the violence because he's, you know, he's male. But, but the, the women teachers, statistically, shut down all the violence because they can't cope with the violence. That's our problem. That is our problem right there. And I'm really getting really pissed off now. Really angry. I mean angry. I'm getting really angry here. But this absence of anger is a real problem. I mean, I'm, I'm university trained. I, I, mean, I'm, I think I've got a bit of a brain. I want to vote no against the social behaviorists and the, and the cultural guys who are, who are fashioning our culture who actually say that we need a culture devoid of anger. No, no, no. Human beings were made with a need to express anger. It's just how it's expressed and where it's expressed and and how intelligent that anger is. And so we're dealing with a complete absence of anger. 1922, a guy called Eric Blair um, fought in the Spanish uh, Civil War and uh, ended up in Burma and um, uh, moved to Paris. He changed his name. um, And you'll know him, those of you who do a bit of reading, you'll know him as George Orwell. And uh, between coming back depressed from Burma and, and coming out of his room, and going to Paris and uh, taking on all, all the, the evils of society and with, uh, with sarcasm and scorn. He just shocked the society dealing with injustices in the streets of Paris and, and, and London. Between those two, two periods, he locked himself away in his bedroom. You know what he took to his bedroom for, for a whole year? You're not going to believe this. Charles Flippin Dickens. 
Exactly. Exactly my point. Charles Dickens is like this author, this British author. I mean, if you go to varsity or school and you read Charles Dickens, I mean, you'd rather slit your wrists in the drive-thru at McDonald's. I mean, it's really slow death, this thing. And he came out of, he came out of, his, out of his self-imposed exile in his bedroom, and he said, Reading Dickens, I see the face of a man who's always fighting against something, but who fights in the open and is not frightened. Here we go. The face of a man who is generously angry. I love that. Charles Dickens completely revolutionized this loser bloke who came out and became a, a prophetic voice in his day because he could see in Dickens, not the word of God, Dickens, a sense of generous anger. Anger that actually said no against injustices. Anger that, that drew out all his wit and all his intelligence and all his training to produce novels that were, were protests against the evils of the day. St. Augustine said, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. Anger and courage. One of my heroes is Tom Peters. If you're interested in business and marketing and business systems and stuff and thinking, Tom Peters, I recommend him to you. He said this, only pissed off people get things done. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Actually, I'm writing a book. I've written a book on the emotional health of preachers because they're all up the pole. Um, because they deal with people like other groups of men. You know? so, and I, I, wrote, I wrote, put this quote in there and I, I, I typed in pissed off and I thought, oh, my mother's going to read this. And I Deleted it, and I put P, asterisk, 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 E-D. No, that, was, that lost its power, so I put in brackets, sorely vexed, very angry. No, 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 put pissed off back in there, because, I mean, that's what the guy said. But we need to think about that. Then also, there's also what I call a universal ap- absence of gravitas. Gravitas is weightedness. It's the kind of thing that sucks your belly down when you get over 40. Gravitas is a sense of seriousness, so we get the word gravity from that. You know that the... That the average age of, of, men who play, of people who play computer games and the biggest purchases of computer games are in the 40s. You know that men are progressively staying home with mom as Mark Driscoll. I see you've got Mark Driscoll sitting in. I see you, Mark. Welcome. Sign a book for me. Mark Driscoll says that uh, his favorite, favorite quote is, um, uh, you know, the problem with these guys is they're living with their mothers, sleeping in their Star Wars pajamas under their Star Wars duvets. And they should uh, quit their porn, leave their mother, go get a job, go find a woman, go marry her, go have sex with her and have babies. I mean, I love it. It's so simplistic. It's lovely, the whole line, you know. But it begins with the problem is sleeping in your duvet in your mother's house. But this lack of gravitas, this culture of ours, Richard Foster says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people, but it's, or gifted people, but for deep people. Gravitas. And so, if you're going to find gravitas and a sense of purpose, it's got to be in the church, for crying out loud. Gravitas. We're missing gravitas. It's all light and breezy. It's all like, make it up as you go along. There's no sense of... And that's what the gospel offers us this morning. And then, quickly, there seems to be, for me, a universal intolerance about, about having an inconvenient gospel. I once said to my wife, babes, can we pick up so-and-so? She's right across the other side of town for church. And my wife said, that's not very convenient. I said, the gospel is not very convenient. The cross wasn't very convenient. Jesus didn't go, oh, sorry, but I can do it next week. I, you know, I got a bit busy this weekend. I don't want to be crucified this weekend. Do you mind? It's a little inconvenient. I don't, you, know, you know how it goes. Take a pass. I'll phone you later. No, no, no. no. This gospel 
is only going to be shown to the blokes who are coming to see you beat the snot out of each other a couple of weeks' time. If it's convincing enough for them, if, if their being there means they're going to rub shoulders with some men who've got some gravitas and who are embracing some inconvenience. See, the reason why, why women are, are filling churches is quite simple. is because they're used to inconvenience. They got the birth stretch marks. They got the they got the, the stretch marks to show you the inconvenience of having children. They got some hairy bad breath bloke at twelve o'clock at night waking them up. Do you know why women over fifty have got big deep creases in their eyes? Because their husbands at midnight wake them up and they go, "You want to do what?" <laughs> but we're inconvenient, you know. The moment we want to get something done in the church, we got to. Is this a bad word? Suck up to the blokes. Is that a bad word? We've got to like really promote it. We've got to, guys, can you, can you get excited about this? Give me a, give me a J, give me an E, Jesus. No, we're, all this kind of rah-rah, you know, pom-pom girl stuff, winding up the brothers to get them excited about something because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Something wrong with our culture, and it begins with our children, our boys. Anyway, so I told you I'd give you a theology of wildness. So for me, wild is not out of control. Wild is not destructive. Wild is not something evil. Or something that's going to destroy your family or unbridled or uncouth. No, no, no. For me, wild is the epitome of Jesus. When the Bible says, be Christ-like, what the heck do you think that means? Do you think it means turn the other cheek? Sometimes it does. But sometimes it means, no, don't turn the other cheek. Plant him in the face in Jesus' name. Metaphorically speaking. But um, this whole idea of aggression is the issue here. And for me, if I look at Jesus uh, in, uh, in Matthew 21, 12, it says, As Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Then the same kind of story in John two fourteen. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. I love this passage. This is my favorite passage. Right up there with, with a lovely story in the Old Testament where, where uh, the king, uh, the, um, Israel had no king and they had a, a woman in charge, Deborah. And Barak who was the army commander, he said to her in the text, if you don't go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will go with you. She wasn't even, she wasn't even Russian. She didn't even have, no steroids anyway. <laughs> I will go with you. And God will give this victory to a woman. And so then off they go. He minces in his chariot and she stands there, you know, hair under her arms, flowing in the wind. You know, tattoo, whole looking really mean, like she comes from Port what? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. No, not for that other place. And, uh, and so, they, so the, the commander of the opposing army, he runs off and he goes, and he goes to a woman's tent and uh, he hides there from the guys chasing her. This is a stunning story. And so she puts him under a, a sheepskin and then in a sick twist, she gives him milk. The symbol of maternal love and care. And it's not just milk, it's a warm milk. I mean, this woman's a psycho. He, she gives her this milk, he drinks this milk, she, he lies down under the thing, and while he's sleeping, because he's exhausted, because this is like not, you know, drop, drop, send, press a button and send a torpedo, you know, this is like real hard work. And, um, and while he's sleeping, she takes a tent peg. This is brilliant. You're going to love this. 
if you're sick in the head. <laughs> and she drives it through his, te- through his temple and skewers him into the ground. And the victory goes to a woman. That's my second favorite verse. But this is my favorite verse here, where Jesus clears the temple. Because we don't know Jesus like this. We think Jesus is some kind of fairy in a dress, dispensing life enhancement techniques. Uh, you're feeling a little depressed? Add a little lavender to your bath water. That's Jesus. Feeling a bit lonely? Take a little brand for your bowel movement. That's what we think Jesus is about, wandering around looking you know, weird. And if you come from certain religious groups, you've got him on a cross looking rather startled. And, you know, but weird. It just looks weird. But here you've got Jesus. He comes to the temple. In fact, there are, some theologians say he did it twice, which is even better. It's doubly nice. And uh, he comes in, and the one, the, one, the one moment says he comes in, he looks at it, and then he goes home. I love that because my legal training tells me that's premeditated, a forethought with malicious intent to do grievous bodily harm. He looks, he checks it out. He goes, I can take these blokes. Bunch of fairies. Look at them. Weak. Kill that pigeon there, kick that thing in the head, chuck that table over, great. There's the exits there, you know. He leaves, he goes home, he makes a whip. He doesn't just find a whip, he makes a whip. This is sick. This is premeditated. This is cool. This is what you want to do. When you've got a temple that needs to be cleaned. You go home, you make, you make a whip of cords. And then he comes into the temple with this whip of cords. And he's not a fairy. He's a carpenter. Any carpenters in the house? I mean, if there are, just check their muscles right there. Check his muscles. I'm telling you, just call him sir. Call him sir, whatever you do. Give him whatever he wants. Pay for his breakfast. Give him a ticket for the bloke. Just, just be careful. So he's a carpenter. He comes in there. He's really angry because he doesn't have this problem yet. He, has, he hasn't got married yet. <laughs> he never did get married. Don't worry what Dan Brown said, okay? He's without sin. <laughs> he didn't get married. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. He comes into the temple. He's aggressive. He is so angry that God's house could become this. And you should feel like that. You should be angry that many churches, and not, not victory, but many churches, are full of women. You should be angry about that. You should be angry that our kids are looking at the world through the wife, your wife's eyes. And there's nothing wrong with your wife's eyes. It's just that they're not male eyes. We should be angry that our politicians look like a bunch of fairies. And what a wonderful thing watching your two girls fight it out. (laughs) Sorry, did I say that or did I think that? (laughs) I think I've I've offended everybody here in the house. Is there anybody I haven't? Let me know and I'll see what I can do before the the morning's done. So Jesus comes into the temple. He's angry at this, this, um, um, uh, this debauchery. He's angry at the way this, this, his, his father's house has been turned into something it's not supposed to be. And the kingdom of God and the local church is supposed to be a place of life and vibrancy and hope and purpose and potential and meaning. Not a bunch of old ladies just waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus gets angry, I think, over a lot of stuff that we don't even know he's angry about. He comes into the temple. I don't think he's saying, excuse me. Ooh. Over goes the table. <laughs> be careful, be careful. Ooh. No, he's not like that. He's not, he's not I don't want to offend anybody. He's not, I don't know, he's not... He's not a sign writer, Tony. He's a carpenter. You know what I mean? He's a carpenter. Sorry. And for those of you who are, who are slug lickers and tree huggers, 
I'm sorry, all the greenies among us. Hey, listen, I reckon some of those pigeons had their wings broken. No, yes, no, stop arguing with me. Broken, broken wings, broken legs. It was chaos. Think about it. How many of you know Jewish people? Anybody Jewish people in the house? Jewish people are quite financially motivated, right? They're good at money, aren't they? They're good at money. So, okay, let's assume, let's assume Jewish, probably a lot of unsophisticated people present. Pharisees are the most money-loving, money-grubbing, dirty punks in the whole building are there. And Jesus throws the tables over with the money on it. It's chaos. This is not nice Aussie plastic money you can't break and can't whatever, smoke. Some of you try, I don't know. No, no, this is coins everywhere. And the people are helping themselves. This is, this is what temple should be like. This is brilliant. This is like when the offering comes in and the pastor says, help yourself, take what you want. You know, this is chaos. This is brilliant. Are you, are you comfortable with that metaphor? Is that, is that disturbing for you? And if it's disturbing for you, I, I think I, I want to suggest it's because we've got the wrong idea. Jesus is angry to the point of violence. But this is a violence that's educated. It's a violence that's intelligent. We're not advocating mindless, reckless violence with abandonment. This is a, an aggression that's fashioned. It's directed. I'm helping you here now. And I'm calling us as men. You know what your marriage might need? It's not more sex techniques and more positions. In fact, the older you get, the more dangerous that is because you might never get back to the original position. <laughs> I, I, I'm told. I'm told. Although I am I'm going to the gym just to stay trim for the right reasons here. But you know what your, your wife might need more? From you is aggression. No. Yes. No. Stop arguing with me. Your wife might need aggression. Are you advocating wife abuse? No. She's already abused. How? By your passivity. No. Yes. I'm a bit uh, jet lagged, so excuse me for this little dis- discussion in my head I'm having with myself. But you know the, the, major, the worst problem going on in the world is domestic violence? In, America, in, in, in England alone, there are 12.9 million incidents of domestic violence. Do you know that 45% of British women were raped by their current husbands or partners? Some of the greatest violence being meted out against women is emotional timidity in the hearts of their husbands. Only, some of them only ever hear that they love once their husband has ejaculated into them. Some of the greatest violence being perpetrated in the home is not mass murder. I mean, do you know South Africa, right after Russia, or just before Russia, I think we have the world's worst father kills wife and kids rate in the world. And it's one of the most shocking, horrific, I'm embarrassed to the core. We, we are right up there in the newspaper. I'm newspaper. Dad kills wife, kills kids. Emotional indifference. And you know one of the greatest acts of aggression perpetrated against women is men who won't lead them. See, God created men and women equal in value but different in function. And for some of us, we've got to take our homes back. Because weak men married to strong women produce weak sons who marry weak women. Uh, weak sons who marry strong women. And I think that's the sins of the forefathers. If you're around the church in the 70s and 80s, that the demons were everywhere. You remember that? I mean, you, demons were on every bush. It was like exciting. It was quite weird, really. There, there were demons everywhere. And people said, well, look at your family tree. And if you go back far enough, you might find you, your father was a Freemason. 
I mean, my great, 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 great grandfathers were, were Viking flippin' rapists and pillagers. Some of you are saying, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, how, how far back must I go? The cross and a good, good thorough check of my history equals liberty. No, no, no. I don't think the sins passed on are some kind of disembodied spiritual spirit thing, demonic things that you pass on, you know, all kind of rubbish. No, no. I think the sins you pass on are these attitudinal things or the lack of performance in your, when you're supposed to produce. And so sons are learning how to be husbands from dad. Dad is absent. Dad is passive. The spiritual thermometer in your home, does that get adjusted by a female hand or a male hand? So tomorrow, what's today? Saturday. Tomorrow morning, who's going to say, everybody get out of bed? Oi, you too, Bruce. And he's the elder for crying out loud. (laughs) Who's going to do that? Who's going to get everybody to church tomorrow? Is it going to be a female voice? Because some men, if they were going to write books about about their encounter with God, then they'd have to write, uh, they'd have to call it God of my wife. Because they live vicariously through their wife's revelation of God. And we don't take that back because that's a gross violence against your family. The other problem in our culture, and we're not even aware of it, is the political agenda around neutering men. It's an agenda. It's actually, it's actually thought through. It, there's some kind of intelligence behind it. I mean, I've had time. I, could, I probably should just give you my notes and you can have a look at it. But it's incredible how there's a, a radical feminist drive to undermine men. Are you just being negative? No, I'm not. I'm being realistic. I'm going to New Zealand next, and I hope they're ready for me. Because systematically, their culture has been feminized and neutralized, except in one place, the rugby stadium. I know you guys think rugby's for people who are scared to play footy. Where's Danny? We'll take him on any day. Where are you, Danny? Good, Danny. You know, if you said it more aggressively, I'd be impressed. <laughs> Come on. But all kinds of interstate interventions, and I haven't got time for it, all kinds of laws have been passed. And basically, what we're doing is we're, we're demonizing the traditional male roles. We're, we're incentivizing young girls to have babies out of wedlock. It's crazy. In fact, we need to be paying our men to get back into schools so that the boys can see the world through male eyes for a change. We, we're living in what's called a sex change society. And feminism. I don't get feminism. Think about feminism. Feminism, who's a feminist? Normally, she's a real ugly woman who looks like the men she hates. Have you noticed that? Have you ever seen a beautiful feminist? No, they look, they look like your brother. But feminists exist because men have been chauvinists. Feminism exists because men have failed. It's not the girl's problem. It's our problem. And what an opportunity we have as men, those of you who are Christ followers, and those of you, even if you're not today, to turn that thing around. And those of you who've got young kids, or you're going to have kids, and start getting it right from the beginning. And even those of you who are grandpas and old, we can actually do something about reintroducing a sense of purpose into our masculinity. And so our other problem we're basing, and Tony alluded to that earlier, was this whole feminization of the church. I mean, you sing some songs, you, got, you feel mildly gay singing them. I remember when I first sang to Jesus, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. It seemed weird. Weird. Is that an open mouth? Is it a closed mouth? Is that, is that, I mean, is that how you kiss your kiss sister? Is it, what kind of kiss is that? Uh, 
And all the, all the songs are, are about love me and hold me. I'm dying. And, you know, I, I'm glad we don't sing those here at Victory. Here at Victory, we sing a little kind of stuff. And, Jesus, Jesus. That's fine. Hey, Danny, hasn't got all soft on me, have you? The, okay, good. That's good. Just checking. But listen to this bloke here. He says, have you ever asked yourself, self, why did churches today look more like the lingerie section at a second-class departmental store than a battalion of men poised to plunder the powers of darkness? Why do men avoid going to church? And what can be done about it? Certainly, the lack of men in church is not at all difficult to see. Just open your eyes any Sunday morning and go to church. Then count the number of ladies in the pews and the number of men. The result, you're slapped in the face with the low-grade, gin-like reality that men are avoiding church like a psycho avoids reality. More and more, we are seeing fewer and fewer mature and responsible, evil, challenging tripods who love leadership, the struggle, and aren't afraid to boldly face an increasingly godless environment with conviction, power, and the love of God. So why do most men avoid church? Here's the stripped away answer without the veneer. Going to church for the majority of men is an exercise in unwanted effeminacy. Church for most men has not only become irrelevant, but it's also become effeminate. Hanging out in church for most extra Y chromosomes seems unmanly, and most men more than anything want to be masculine. The current lack of strong men within the church, both as leaders and numerically, has crippled our cathedrals and has helped devastate Western society ethically. It's incredible. And that's not really a problem here at Victory, and I'm glad for that because you guys are focusing on that. See, why do you have the bloke things? Because Tony's got, you know, he used to get out of home because he's got too much washing to hang up on the line? No. You know why you have the bloke thing? Because you're reinforcing something that's going against the culture. I mean, do you know how strange it is for people watching you from afar that you actually had a beer in the building? That you had boxing in the building? You had blokes in the building, all you need is another B and we're in serious trouble. Isn't it incredible that that should cause such a stir? Because we're not expecting it. And as, as, as Tony was saying, that is such a disarming thing. Bring the blokes to, to the bloke day. I mean, I'm promoting this more than that silly little washing line thing, didn't I? <laughs> I, should get, I should get a ticket to fly back and be there. <laughs> this is what's an opportunity. For us to actually say something that's completely unheard in our generation. That this gospel is for men. That Jesus Christ, the most masculine of men you'll ever find, not a fairy. Not a little fairy tripping around Palestine with a feeding scheme. This is Jesus, God the Son. And when you get to Revelation 15, you've got him on a white horse. You've got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got a tat on his leg. He's got a tattoo on his leg and, and with a name that we don't know what it means. You know why he's got a name on his leg that no one knows what it means? For two reasons. One, because he can. And two, because he wants to. <laughs> I want to follow a guy like that. I want to follow a guy who to his wife, darling, can I get a tattoo? Yeah? And it's not his mother's name on his leg. Eh? It's, probably, it's probably something like, man, I wish I could get back to the temple and slap people around again. <laughs> something like that. I'm sure it's something like that. Or, or devil, I'm on my way. But he's strong, and his sword coming out of his mouth, double-edged sword. It's not a little plastic, little, little, little dagger thing. I mean, fire coming out of his eyes. This is Jesus. This is, the, this is the risen Jesus, not some kind of dead guy on a cross there looking all weird and like he's got bowel problems in some cathedral somewhere. No, this is Jesus. This is God the Son who rules and reigns the universe now, who's King of kings, Lord of lords now. And he's inviting all of us as men. If you're not a Christ follower, tell he's not good enough for you to one day stand before God and say, well, I didn't come to Christ because I was just so sick and tired. It was, it was just church was full of women and pofters. Is that what you're going to do? 
Oh, come on. You're much more intelligent than that. You're going to blame some, some Christian because he was a hypocrite? Listen, let me help you. All of us at certain stages of our lives are all hypocrites. Even Tony. For a brief nanosecond of a moment. Are you going to stand before God if you're not a Christ follower and excuse it because you didn't really know and you know, there weren't any glass? No, 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 no. Now, today, the Bible says you need to be born again. You must come to, con- to conversion. You must turn around 180 degrees. You must make Jesus your Lord and your King. And he was looking for you. You, didn't, you weren't that clever to go find him. And that's why you're here. You're probably thinking, what the heck am I doing here? Well, it doesn't matter. God knows he got you here. It just looks like you happened to owe somebody a favor, and they kind of gang-pressed you and forced you here, and you here, and you had a little bit of egg and some strange bloke from Africa. No, no, God had you here. For a reason. You must be born again. And so I want to encourage us that we need to come to the scriptures with an open heart and, f- and look for Jesus in there. And you'll be amazed that Jesus uh, was, was angry at, at, at self-righteousness. In fact, Jesus takes the prostitutes and uh, there's a woman caught in adultery. I always find that a funny story in the Bible. The woman caught in adultery. I mean, do the maths. Any of you do biology? Who should show any evidence of being in adultery? The male, where is that guy with the big heart on running away? Where is that guy? I, I want to see that guy. That guy is not there. But here's this poor woman thrown in the middle, surrounded. They, they, want, they want to stone her like, this, like the old law requires. And Jesus uh, starts writing in the ground. And, some peop- and the Bible says, beginning with the oldest, they're all left. And I, some people say maybe Jesus was writing down the names of some of the illicit lovers the old guys had. Because the old guys have been sinners for longer. Sorry, old guys. So, you know, writing on all the sins. We don't know what he's writing. Maybe he's just doing kind of like, I don't know, calligraphy. You know, blessed are the poor. Oh, that sounds good. I must remember that. You know, we don't know what he's doing there. But one by one they leave. And then the woman looks at him and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, no, they've all gapped it. So he says, well, I don't, I don't condemn you. Just go and clean your life up and stop being silly. Go sin no more. He's hanging out with the tax collectors. These are like the Sopranos on steroids. Zacchaeus, wee little man, which is a pathetic way to be referred to. And a wee little man was he climbed up in a tree to check Jesus out. Jesus said, Yo, come, we're having some lunch. Gives away half of his stuff. He's given away. He, he makes uh, good all the people he's ripped off four times, according to the law, etc. But when he gets to Pharisees, he's angry. And Matthew 23, he is tense. He is intense. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. We don't use the word woe. Wow. Wow. You know, unless you're on drugs. Whoa, bro, whoa. But whoa was like, ah, ah. Whoa was like, where's my whip, you know? Ah. And, but it's also got a sense of deep pathos and pain. Like, oh, I wish this could be different. That's what woe was about. And for seven times, Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. You're a bunch of losers. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You, you, you're anal retentive. You're going after all the stupid stuff, all the minors and the majors of injustice and, and, and brokenness and pain in the community that you're supposed to address. You're not doing that. Whoa, you're, a bunch of, you're like a whitewashed tomb, sepulchre, full of dead men's bones. You're unproductive. And they, that's like they get so tense and they, they want to kill him. Jesus is always gracious with a prostitute, gracious with a sinner. And you might be in the middle of an adulterous relationship now. And God is kind and Jesus is gracious to you. He's calling you out of that this morning. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian particularly and you're, you're a Pharisee in a self-righteous fight, Jesus will fight you. God will oppose you. Because, Matthew, because um, James says God opposes the proud. He works against, actively, 
I'm a tither. Doesn't matter. I speak in tongues. Doesn't matter. I'm born again. Doesn't matter. I've read the Bible through a thousand times. Doesn't matter. In the original Greek. Doesn't matter. I prophesy through my left nostril in Russian. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I give my body to be burned. It does not matter. If we're proud, proud and arrogant, God will work against us. And we're blaming the devil for stuff God's doing in our lives. God is always against that kind of thing. Why are you telling us that? Because I want to show us that God is, is, is a God of, of aggression. God is a God of intentionality. God is not happy with passivity. And the last thing Australia needs is one more man. The last thing South Africa needs is one more man to be passive. There's nothing more blasphemous than passivity. Passivity is not neutral. Have you ever seen a bloke with makeup on and a dress? They just not just doesn't really do it. They just don't look pretty. Passivity looks ugly on a bloke. It's it's just never gonna look good. Doesn't matter how much lipstick you put on it. But passivity for me is actually something that you learn from a passive father, probably. But the good thing about us is all our background can be unlearned. And many of you today would say, you know, you know what? I look nothing like the Howard Brown men that have been ahead of me. In fact, our woman, because of the gospel, looked nothing like the women who were under pressure because they were badly husbanded by previous generations. That's what the gospel wants to do. It wants to change us. And so the river of your life comes flowing down from you, and suddenly the gospel comes, and you meet Jesus, and, and the filter of God's word gets lifted up in your stream, and all the good stuff flows through, and all the rubbish keeps, is kept back. And you know what? The marriages from you on are brilliant. It seems like a whole new lease on life. Even the careers are brilliant. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is just how it works. You see life differently. And, and this side of the filter, they're abused women or they're dominating women who are like, like manipulative shrews. And they come to Christ and they're loving and they're kind and they follow their husbands. Something changes. That's what the gospel does. Completely changes us. And so we can unlearn that. If you learned passivity from a passive dad, you can unlearn that. And you need to. Don't worry about leaving money for your kids. Do you want to leave something for your kids? Then do not leave passivity. Leave a model. And it's not too late to change. In fact, it's not too late to go and write letters to adult sons and daughters saying, forgive me for my passivity. I didn't lead this family like I should have. It's wrong. Passivity is something you need to unlearn. The reason I call it a blasphemy is because we're made in God's image. God said, let us create man and woman in our image. And to actually be passive is contrary to God. God is involved. God is active. God right now is fiddling in the details of your life with parental fussiness. Even the biggest bloke here thinks, oh, no, I need God. You, you have no idea. You, you say, I'm not even following God. You have no idea the calamity and the disaster that God has saved you from. You arrogant twit. Said love in loving kindness with a bit of jet lag. God has been fiddling in your life before you were born again. Some guys think when I get born again, when I get converted, when I become a Christian, suddenly God gets in and sorts me out and God is involved in my life. No, no, no. God was involved with the moment your mother's egg and your dad's sperm met together in the back of a driver in a Chevy. Somewhere God gave life. And in your mother's womb, God put stuff in you that you need to bring to your generation. Paul the Apostle wrote much of the New Testament 
everything he could do after being born again was enriched by what he was before. His determination as a, as a zealous um, Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the law. That kind of determination and, and kind of background, a theological background, set him up well under the power of the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. Willingness to, to take the church and to destroy the church before he was born again. That same passion, that same zeal for God, all misguided, turned around, redeemed in the born-again experience, the blood of Jesus. And that same passion drove him all the way around Asia Minor, and he wanted to get to Spain. He said, I've, I've got nowhere else to go. Talk about getting your job done. And God is always taking responsibility. You need to t- take responsibility, for those of you who've got daughters, for your daughter's sexuality, your daughter's femininity. Not some other 16-year-old bloke's going to lie to her who wants to ha- have sex with her and tell her that he loves her, which is a bunch of hogwash. Take responsibility for your boy's masculinity. Take responsibility for your home. Take responsibility. Finish some things. Bring it to an end. Your yes be yes. Your no be no. Make your contribution to the local church. Put your money in it. Put your heart in it. We had a guy and he came to church when it was Tithe Sunday. That's the Sunday closest to payday. I said, we don't want your money. We want you. He thought that's all we wanted. You know, we could just pay his way. No, no, no. Keep your money. I don't want your money. I want you. Do we have you? Have we got our money's worth? Not money-wise. Have we got our value out of you? Are you known in this place? See, passivity will keep you a stranger, even though you've been here for 20 years. Passivity is never neutral. It's never neutral. It's always in a reverse gear. You're always going backwards. You're always going like Newton's second law of thermodynamics, from a state of order to disorder, to chaos. It's always. You leave your house. You leave your garden. You leave your car. Your car. You leave it. I'm telling you, you know, six months, you wish you hadn't left it. Maintenance is the key to everything, and especially in your spiritual life. And so ultimately, passivity is not neutral because it takes me to a place called death, brokenness and decay and weakness. It takes courage to fight against what I want to do. It takes courage to say no to me. It takes courage to say no to my flesh and yes to the purpose of God. It takes aggression. You've got to see something. That no one else is seeing. You've got to see something beyond what can be seen. You're seeing God. You're seeing the kingdom of God. You're seeing eternal life. Instead of just seeing what you're living with now, I tell our business guys, with all due respect, all you're making is widgets and gadgets. It's nonsense. Come join us. Join us. We're dealing with the lives of men and women, and that's the only thing that's going into eternity, not your widget or your gadget. And it's not illegitimate, and it's a good widget, and it's very clever. Well done. And, you know, make some money and get the gospel out there with your money. That's why God gave you the brains to make the money in the first place, not to have another cottage and three cars and a boat and an airplane. No, no, no. Then the last point I want to make about passivity is the problem with passivity. It opens the door to witchcraft. Are you getting a spooky on us? No, not really. The witchcraft for me is basically giving authority to something else. It's putting the authority in an illegitimate place. And the great story there. If you haven't got time right now, but in 1 Kings 21, there's a king called Ahab who's married to a real ugly biatch called Jezebel. She was shocking. She was a shocker. She was horrific. She was terrible, terrible. He was an absolute wimp. 
He was the king of Israel, lying on his bed, crying because some poor vineyard farmer wouldn't sell him his farm, wouldn't give him his, his vineyard, which the law wouldn't allow anyway. He's lying on his bed, and she says, what's wrong with you? And he says, he won't give me his farm. And she says, look at you. Aren't you the king of Israel? I will get you the farm. And she does. She gets him the friggin' farm. She actually gets the bloke killed. And then it says, she wrote letters in his name. And how many wives are leading our homes in our name? Because someone has to. She writes letters in his name. That's the witchcraft. In his name. So we don't do, we don't do hypnosis because you're not in control. So we don't get involved in the, in the, in the supernatural witchcraft thing because it's a demonic in, interference. No, no, you, we've got to stay in control of our stuff. And so she writes letters. They organize this party. They have this guy killed for some trumped-up charges. And she says, here's your vineyard. Complete wuss. And, and the end of that story is not happy. He gets killed. But it's a good story because Jehu, who is a, a, a kind of a liberation guy that God raises up to get rid of Ahab and his ugly wife, he comes riding along on his chariot, and uh, she's up on, up on, the, on the wall, and she, he, Jehu arrives, and he says to the eunuchs, throw her down. They throw her down, and he rides over her on his chariot. <laughs> You know, it's like reversing those horses. I mean, it's hard work, huh? So, I mean, that's like really, not by accident. I mean, he really put some effort into it. And, oh, I missed her again. One more circle. Oh, okay, got her. So much so that when he came out of having lunch, the dogs had eaten and there was nothing, hardly anything left. And they just buried the bones because he said, oh, shame. She was a, she was a king's you know, daughter, Syrophoenician daughter. She was from a, a, another weird tribe. But the point is, passivity doesn't have a happy ending. That's basically the, the end of the story. Ahab loses it. Jezebel loses it. And you know what? Jezebel's daughter, daughter of the bitch, is a worse bitch than her mother was. It's incredible. Follow the, follow the kings. Follow the, follow the kings in Israel. The bad blokes, not the all had. They bad mommies. The mommies were psycho. They probably boiled bunnies in water. I'm not sure. Psycho woman. And all of those psycho women had one thing in common. A weak husband. I want to encourage you guys. I don't know many of you guys are doing well. And, and, and you think, why are you, why are you telling us all this? Well, because there's a world out there that needs the gospel. And I want you to be confident. I don't want to, there's nothing. You know, I'm vastly trained. Intellectually, there's nothing in the gospel that will make you want to cower intellectually. I, I don't get that. I don't get Christians all like nervous. The best thoughts out there are inferior to our thoughts of the gospel and Jesus Christ. I want you to walk boldly into your day. I want you to entangle the guys intellectually. I want you to take them on. I want you to live front-footed. This is what Tony and the, this is what your elders want. This is why we're here. This is why this building exists. To help us to, to bring our stuff into our generation. To speak God's word into our generation and our value. And then you can die. But if you die without doing it, we're going to raise you from the dead. And we're going to rebuke you and put you under discipline. How dare you die until you've delivered your stuff to our generation. Come now. And I want to encourage, especially those of us who are around 50 and a little older, you're not over yet. You're not over just because you're managing your colon well. You're not over because God's not done with you yet. God has purpose for you. From the oldest to the youngest, the youngest bloke here today, is it Josh? I don't know who it is. Let's go for it. Let's give it horns. Is that a bad word here? Give it stick. 
Let's make it happen in our day. And this is a great church to do that in because people need examples of men who are intentional, who love their wives. My wife says, any woman will follow a strong man any day rather than lead it herself. And most of the reason why women are leading is not because they're just Jezebels, like the queen, but it's because they're married to men who haven't given themselves permission to be aggressive about something. Our Western culture is not serving us well. And the only place we can express some kind of masculine enjoyment with aggression is some footy game or some rugby game. When violence and aggression is a gift from God for us to be schooled, to be channeled, to be intelligent against injustice, against passivity, against abuse, against sin. And most of those are right inside. It takes courage to be a Christian. Those of you who are not Christians, not Christ followers, because it's meaningless saying those of you who are not Christians, because a non-Christian now is a non-Jew, is a Jew or a Muslim. The Christians become like nothing, the word. Are you Christ follower. Did you wake up this morning thinking about Christ? You're probably a Christian. If you didn't, I would encourage you today. You must come to Christ. Jesus loves you. doesn't matter what you've done. His blood is sufficient to wash away your sin. We don't have to tell you what your sin is all about. You know it. We don't have to tell you anything. Those Christians who have big boards that God hates faggots, and blah, they're a bunch of idiots. You know that you need God. And I want to encourage you today. Put your faith in Him. Say, God, yes, I need you. I'm done stuffing around. I want to respond to your gospel this morning. I want to come to you. I want to be born again. I want to be converted. I want to change direction. I want you to be my Lord, which is an old word meaning leader. I want you to be my savior, an old word meaning rescuer, because you cannot rescue yourself. I want to commend to you this great gospel. I want to commend to you Jesus, who's strong enough for you and stronger than you can imagine. And he was at peace with violence and aggression, as long as it Fulfill the Father's will. I'm not encouraging you to go home and beat your wives up now. That's not what I'm saying. But I think some of us should take our families back. Our boys are crying out for that, and our daughters are needing that. Thank you. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.